The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is your host, uh, Jordan Goodman. And in this hour, I'm going to be speaking with Sandra Solani, uh, who is a brand consultant, branding consultant, and she has a new book out called What's Your BQ, uh, which is all about the brand quotient. Welcome to the show, Sandra. Thank you for having me, Jordan. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about your background before we get into your specialty branding. Uh, tell us a little bit about your educational background and, and your work and how, and how you got to where you are today. All right. Um, I actually started out in the healthcare field. I was a marketing director in healthcare. And so setting yourselves apart in the healthcare industry is sometimes difficult because people think all hospitals are alike. How are you different? So I really got a good start in uh, helping to uh, have my company seen as a point of differentiation among the other healthcare facilities. And I did that for about 20 years, and then I went into real estate, which another great field, but another field where we all look alike until we prove ourselves differently. So this is, these are two industries among many where if you don't have branding, you're kind of going to blend into the background, but if you do brand yourself well, you can have a great sustainable competitive advantage in your marketplace. Okay, and so you left the commercial real estate and formed your own firm. Tell us a little bit about the firm that you're, you're running now. What I do at the Solani Group Brand Strategist is I work with companies to help them find that one thing that they do that sets them apart from the rest so that no matter what industry they're working in, where they say, well, gee, all my competitors say they do the same thing. How am I supposed to stand out? I help them find something that truly sets them apart. Okay, so the idea of your book, which is called uh, What's Your BQ? Uh, how Learn How 35 Companies Add Customers, Subtract Competitors, and Multiply Profits uh, with the Brand Quotient. Uh, you start off with identifying what your brand is. So let's go through a little bit about what the process companies and people at those companies should go through in identifying their brand in the first place. Sure. Um, I, I take people through a four-step process called a VRIO analysis, and, and this was actually created by uh, Professor uh, Dr. Jay Barney of The Ohio State University to help companies determine their strategy. But when I learned about this, I realized this is so applicable to branding. And if you can answer these four questions, uh, you can pinpoint your point of differentiation in the market. So um, the first thing, you, you want to list. Everything about your company that you think is different, you know, and, and why would I buy from you versus so-and-so or competitor, you know, B. And so I have people list those things down, and they put things like, well, we have great customer service or we have quality products or whatever it might be, and they make their list. And I say, okay, to stay on the list as a differentiator, it has to meet all criteria. So the first criteria is V, and that means valuable. Whatever's on your list must be valuable to your customers, and most of the time it is. If you've written it down you've probably seen that the customers value that, but it has to meet all four criteria. So the next criteria it has to meet, it has to be rare, meaning it has to be something you offer that your competitor doesn't, because if you both offer it, then it's just, you've just leveled the playing field again and you both look alike. So something that is rare. Once you find that something that's valuable and rare, the third thing is the I, it has to be costly or difficult for someone to imitate, because if they imitate it, well, once again, now you have the same thing as everyone else. If you are fortunate enough to find those three things, then the last thing is O, and that stands for organizational leverage. And what that means is you have to take that differentiator and you've got to build that whole company around it. You've got to have everyone living, breathing, stating that differentiation. It has to be in your advertising, in your marketing, in your brochures, on your websites, in your word-of-mouth marketing campaigns, whatever it might be. That message has to ring through and it has to be repeated and repeated. And I guarantee you, as a business owner, you'll get sick of the message, but your audience won't. We as consumers rely on consistency to get to know brands because we're bombarded with commercials, and the ones we remember are the ones that are, are very simply stated, maybe very cleverly stated, but are stated repeatedly. Does that make sense? That makes sense. <laughs> okay. That makes sense as a general idea. Then you, you have uh, the, the kind of BQ test, uh, which is once you've kind of gone through that process you just did, 
Okay. Uh, the first part of your BQ test is to have a brand strategy. Correct. T tell me some of the ways that you can, what, what are some of the questions you ask to come up with a brand strategy? Well, you know, I like for people to, first of all, before they develop a brand strategy, think about the overall corporate strategy because the brand strategy really has to tie into what the company wants to do overall or else it's, there's going to be sort of a, a misalignment. So uh, things for the brand strategy, uh, some of it has to do with the, the VRL model. Do you have something that sets you apart? Have you identified it? Because if you don't know what it is, and a lot of companies don't know what theirs is, then there's no way your audience is going to know what it is. So I ask them, you know, what's so different about you, and, and why would that be relevant or valuable to someone? Um, another one is, are you aware of what your competitors are doing and what differentiation they're trying to leverage? Because you want to set yourselves apart from them. So if they've got something that's their specialty that they're known for, you want to create something that is even more compelling that, that you are known for. Uh, another thing I ask, and this helps people really clarify, is can you summarize your brand or your offering in one statement or, or even one word? For example, if, if we use the car uh, company Volvo, and I, I were to ask you what, what word does Volvo represent, you, you know, you'd probably say, oh, safety. Volvo's all about safety. So that's their differentiator. They probably have 101 other wonderful things about their car, but that's the one they build the organization around. And that's what I think people don't understand. They try to sell too many things about their business. Oh, we have safety, but we have, you know, leather seats, and we have this and that, and then, then people get confused. So find that clear. one thing uh, and let that resonate. Yeah, it has to be very clear. Simple, kind of the elevator speech of branding. Are you Absolutely, it, it is. It's a, and I call it an elevator sentence because uh, America has such ADD right now. <laughs> you know, we need to shorten it to a sentence or a word if we can. So. So that's the idea of the brand strategy. And then the next part of the process is aligning, is the brand alignment, aligning that with the strategy you've come up with. So how, how do you align your brand? Well, one of the most important things, and a lot, a lot of times companies forget this, is they have this wonderful strategy that they put out to the world, but they don't train their internal staff to, to be aware of what it is. And so oftentimes you'll go to a company and you'll ask a staff member, what, what sets your company apart? And you'll ask 10 people and they'll give you 10 different answers. So when you determine that differentiator, then everyone in that company needs to be aware of what it is and what their role might be in, in that differentiator. How, how can they communicate that? What, what can they do to reinforce that message? So that's some of the techniques of internal and external branding. So what are some of the techniques you should do to get your internal people aligned with the brand? Well, one of the things I like to do is, first of all, and it sounds so simple, but, but tell them about it. Tell them about it either through sitting them down and having a, a a little conference with them, depending on the size of your company. Send them emails saying, hey, we're about to launch this big campaign. We want you to know about it. Do you have any questions? You know, do a conference call. Um, and another thing that I really like, and, and where, this is where a company leader can really be effective, every time you send out an email to the company, you know, put that tagline or, or say something about that differentiator. Keep reminding people. And then it becomes just a part of the company's vernacular. Everybody's on the same page. Everybody's talking about it. You know, I've worked at companies where they didn't even think about branding. And by doing these techniques within, you know, a short time, just a matter of months, everyone was using the branding terminology and they were talking about the company's differentiators and they were coming up to me and saying, oh, you know, our brand represents this, but I saw, you know, one of our brochures didn't have it in there. So they, they kind of police the brand and make sure it's consistent and that's wonderful when everyone is thinking along the same, same lines. Mm -hmm. So that's the brand alignment. Correct. And the next part of it is communicating that brand, brand communications. Yes. What are some of the mistakes people make in communicating the brand once they've established what it is and, and their employees are aligned with it? One of the biggest mistakes I see is inconsistency in the brand message. For example, I'll see someone that has this amazing brochure and it talks about their brand and how they're different, and then I go to the website and I don't even feel like I'm at the same company. There's no follow-through in the look, the feel, the tagline, the content, the messaging, the differentiation. And, you know, and then you'll look at another piece, maybe it's a flyer or maybe it's an ad in the newspaper, and those aren't in sync too. You want every experience that someone has with your company to be uh, visually consistent, consistent in messaging, or you're going to dilute your own brand. So if I were to you know, look at a brochure and then go to the website, I want to see the same colors, the same logo, uh, just the same look and feel, and I want to have that same uh, continuity of experience 
every time I have an interaction. And that goes right down to, you know, what your fax cover sheets like look like and your memos and your, your on-hold messages. It has to be consistent. And, and that's, I think, where people just forget. You know, we, we get busy in our businesses and we start, you know, cranking out some memos or flyers or whatever, and, and we forget about the consistency and using the exact colors, the same font type, the same messaging. And uh, those little inconsistencies will can throw people off. It's not on a conscious level, on a, on a subconscious level. They'll say, huh, that's something's just a little bit, uh, you know, out of alignment in how they're communicating. Mm-hmm. And then once you've done that, uh, you're talking about brand execution as the fourth part of the strategy. Yes, uh, and, and it's really interesting because I have given this test to so many people, and the funny thing is everybody scores themselves high on execution but low in all of the other areas, including strategy. And I thought, well, if you don't have a strategy, what are you executing on? So it's kind of interesting because as business leaders, we find ourselves in, in that execution mode. We've got to get things done. We've got to do it. And, uh, you know, I can see how some people might forget about the strategy part. So um, what I mean by execution is that we continually remind ourselves that it is our job every day, uh, and it has to come from the top down, uh, to communicate this message in everything we do. We have to continue to make sure that what we're offering and what's different still remains relevant because what may be relevant and exciting to consumers today, uh, if you have someone imitate you, you know, a month or a year from now, then you've got to change that execution a little bit. You've got to freshen it up. You've got to make your offering relevant. Um, you want to make sure consistency is there on all levels. You want to make sure you're interacting with your clients to find out if they like what you're executing. You know, you, some, sometimes uh, you miss out on hearing your clients' input, and they're the best uh, people to reveal your brand to you. They might say, well, you know what, I don't like this product. It doesn't work or, or whatever. And if you don't talk to your clients and find out, your execution is going to fail. Um, so talk to your clients regularly. Make sure that what, what you're doing is pleasing to them. It's getting you where you want to go, and it's keeping in line with the strategy that you originally set. So what is the difference to a company that executes uh, everything you're talking about, uh, creating the brand and the strategy and the execution and uh, alignment and so on, uh, with a company that doesn't, say they're in the same field, what, what kind of different results would the company that does it ha- get compared to the one that doesn't do it? Well, I think the ones that do do it are the, are the brands that end up standing out in our minds as, as the super brands. Those are the ones that, that excel. Those are the ones that have a sustainable competitive advantage. And yeah, one that I think of is you know, the Ritz-Carlton. I mean, they're so consistent and have been so consistent in their branding and their execution for so long that we know what to expect. And when you know what to expect from a brand, it's much easier to choose that brand. You know, if you're going to, let's say, have this wonderful wedding, you know, for your daughter and you want it to be perfect, you know, you know, you go with the Ritz-Carlton, you know it's a done deal. You know that you're going to have a perfect, wonderful experience versus maybe another hotel that didn't have that consistent practice. You might say, well, gee, one time I had a good experience there, but another time it wasn't so good or they, they, they were inconsistent and I, I got surprised at something that I didn't expect. People don't like surprises when they're making decisions. So the consistency makes people want to choose you because they don't want those surprises when they're putting their money on the line and, and when some, something has to be just right. And you're also saying that a company that does brand it correctly is going to be more profitable, more successful, hold out to the employees, and in general be a more successful business, right? Yeah, yes. You know, in the long run, you're talking about having not just an advantage for today, but you want a sustainable competitive advantage. So when people go through the process we just discussed with the VRIO, that's what it's designed to do, to give you a sustainable competitive advantage. All right, very good. I'm speaking, this is Jordan Goodman, your host. I'm speaking to Sandra Solani, who's the author of a new book called What's Your BQ, which stands for Brand Quotient. Um, And it's quite fascinating, and we'll be back after this. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, the Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. 
From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, The Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk, heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellent both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman. My guest this hour is Sandra Solani, uh, who is a branding consultant and expert in the whole subject of branding. Uh, her new book is called What's Your BQ, which stands for Brand Quotient. Uh, learn how 35 companies add customers Subtract competitors and multiply uh, profits. Welcome back to the show, Sandra. Thank you so much, Jordan. We just went through the whole BQ uh, system and how you get your score. Once you have that score, uh, you have a grid, and it's a little visual. But explain how this grid works, and even how people can potentially see this online as well. Absolutely. Well, what the grid does, and the reason I created this test and the scoring is I, I love to take tests that reveal something about myself, and I, I kind of had a feeling that other people do too. And uh, so the 40 questions that you answer, and you can do this online, it's no cost at whatsyourbq.com, you go through the 40 questions and you say, show me my BQ results. And then what will appear on the screen is a grid. And the grid is uh, sort of a diamond pattern. And the areas of strength are going to be shown in red. So the more red you see and the higher up on the grid, it's, it's going to show these are your strength areas in branding. And then the areas where, that need improvement, there's going to be less red. And so, you know, the perfect score would be the perfectly shaped diamond. Uh, but what you'll often see is maybe there's a heavier amounts of red in execution, but maybe lower in strategy. And this will give you an instant visual of what you need to improve. The other good thing about it is where you see those areas that are needing improvement, all you need to do is go back to the test, and, and the answers are really in the questions. If you're low in strategy, you go back to all those questions and say, oh, gee, I only scored a one on um, you know, having a point of differentiation. I need to improve that. So it will pinpoint what you need to do, where you need to go, and so you can increase your brand quotient. And uh, the reason I called it a brand quotient is uh, in contrast to an IQ or an intelligence quotient. You can't change your IQ. You're pretty much born with it, and it stays the same. But you can improve your brand quotient. And so I wanted to let people know that this is not so complicated. I, I want to demystify the branding process and let people know there are things you can do. And, you know, you don't need a, an MBA from Harvard. It are just simple things and practices you can follow uh, to improve that brand quotient. You then have what you call brand congruence matrices, where you're combining execution, strategy, and so on. Just give us a sense of how that might work. Sure. Well, because there's four quadrants on the grid, you know, the the execution, the strategy, alignment, and and, uh, communication, once you see that little diamond on the grid, you realize that within each quadrant, 
based on if you score high or low, it's going to impact certain areas of the company. For example, if you're scoring very high in brand strategy but uh, very poorly in brand execution, then you're going to have a disadvantage in the area of competitive strength. So you can have this wonderful strategy, but if it's just sitting there on a shelf and it's not getting done, your competitors are going to have an advantage over you. Um, if you have a, a great alignment of brand, you know, internal and external people, you know, are, are aware of it, but your brand communication is poor, maybe you're sending inconsistent messages out in your advertising, um, that's going to impact the brand experience that people have. They're going to say, well, gee, I, I went there one day and I had this kind of experience and I went there another day and it, you know, it wasn't so good. And so each thing you do, each of these four items that we covered in the matrix have other implications on, on how they actually impact the organization itself. Very good. All right. So then you go on uh, in your, your new book again, which is called uh, What's Your BQ, Your Brand Quotient, mm -hmm. uh, and you talk about the brand illusion. Uh, so a brand is something that's in people's minds. Mm -hmm. You're saying it's, it's, it's an illusion, really. It's in their minds, but it's not necessarily true in fact. Well, and here, yes, here's the thing. Um, branding exists only in the mind of the consumer. And it doesn't mean they're, they're hallucinating or they're delusional, but basically, you know, ten consumers can look at your product, and each one is going to see something a little bit different, and they're going to believe what they believe about your product based on their personal experiences. And some people may have a wonderful experience, and some people may have a terrible experience, and they're all right in terms of what they think your brand is. So the goal of the business leader is to make sure that what's in the mind of the consumer is in line with what we're trying to communicate as our brand. You know, if, if we want to communicate, again, the brand of safety, we want the mind of the consumer to be thinking that, too. And so that's why we do our marketing and our branding and our, our various promotions so that we can uh, try to make that consumer uh, understand what we're all about and give them a very accurate understanding of what we do. Um, the, the brand illusion um, also refers to something that is it just amazes me how branding can alter someone's perception of the product to a point where they will pay significantly more money for one product over another when it's essentially the same product. Um, for example, I use the example of Clorox bleach. Bleach is a chemical compound. All bleach is the same, whether it's mm. Clorox or generic brand or, or whatever it is. But people pay significantly more for Clorox. Eight out of ten households buy Clorox bleach even though it, you, know, you can go into a chem lab and make it and it's all going to be the same. So there's this perception because of the branding, this must be better, even though it's a commodity. And uh, same thing with you know, Morton salt. Salt is sodium chloride. It's a chemical compound. Uh, there are different types of salt out there, but people pay you know, probably 69% more, I think it is, for the Morton salt. And that's because they've created this brand, and they have been the number one brand since the late 1800s in America, and it's salt. So um, the reason I like to use this example is because I have people come up to me all the time, and they say, yes, yeah, Sandra, I get it, differentiation's important, but my company doesn't do anything different. Uh, you know, we sell real estate, and, and everybody else does too, or we sell, you know, widgets, and everybody else does too. And I say, you know what, if bleach can differentiate itself, if salt can differentiate itself, and, and water, my favorite one, if water can differentiate itself, then so can you. And I, I did a presentation the other night, and I brought in about 10 bottles of water, all the same size as 33.8 ounce, and I put one down on the table at a time. I said, this one's 69 cents, 79, 89, $1.29, $1.59, all the way up to $1.99. They were all water, but by the way they branded themselves, they were creating a, a significant increase uh, in the amount of money people would pay. So that's, that's also part of that uh, brand illusion. I mean, you could, at, at stores lately, a lot of people are buying more uh, generic products or store brand or you know, not willing to pay for the, the fancy nationally advertised brand. Is that a, a bigger trend? or, or you know, What percentage of sales these days are generic versus brand name? You know what, I, I don't know the percentage, and that is a good question, and I think there are always going to be those people that are shopping for the lowest prices. There are some people that just take pride in saying, boy, I got a deal on this one, but I think as a society, we are so much about branding. I, you know, even young kids these days, you know, they don't just ask for a pair of, you know, shoes or sneakers, they, they ask for their brand name, or they ask for a brand name, you know, jeans, or brand name, you know, video games, or whatever. Uh, so from a very early age, 
we are trained uh, to, to know what brands are, and children who are, you know, pre-verbal, you know, will go past the McDonald's sign and they point to it and they know what it is. So we are really uh, trained as a society to be very brand conscious. Yeah. Okay. So we now the brand illusion, and then you say once you have that, uh, there are various elements of the brand. Let's go into what the elements of a brand are briefly. Well, again, the, the biggest element, and the one that's so simple, and, and yet people maybe think it's too simple of an answer, but is uh, what's so different about you? Why would I choose you over someone else? And so that's a crucial element of the brand. And when you can find that and, and promote that over and over, then people start to see, ah, okay, now I know why this is different. And, uh, you know, the example with the water, there's a brand of water out now that just cracks me up because it's $1.99 for a 33-ounce versus maybe a bottle of Arrowhead that's, you know, 79 cents. Um, the brand is called I Am Loved, okay? Uh-huh. And then you read the back of the label, and uh, it says, while you're drinking this water, um, repeat to yourself, I am loved, I am loved, because quantum physics tells us that when we say something, the mind believes it, and it resonates within us, and it goes through this, this whole, you know, story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, you know, it, people pay $1.99 for something that they can get either for 79 cents or they can get for free, <laughs> you know, <Right>. water. <laughs> and so um, once you find that differentiation, uh, presenting it in a compelling and relevant way that, that says to the client, I really need to have this. This is something important. And one way to do that is exactly what they did on that bottle, is to tell a story. Mm-hmm. People love stories. They are engaged in stories. And they believe them more than just, you know, putting out an ad saying, buy us because we're great. You know, when there's a, a, a relevant and captivating story behind it, people love that. They want to feel a part of it, and, and they get excited about it. So that's what you call it. the emotional connection to the brand, right? Absolutely. People tend to buy brands on emotion. What They buy it on what, how it makes them feel. They also buy it on how it makes them feel about themselves and how it makes others perceive them. And, you know, you, we've all heard the, you know, the cliches about, you know, the guy that drives the poor, she wants to look like, you know, a babe magnet or, or maybe he's going through a midlife crisis or whatever it is. But what I found to be very interesting is that this brand image isn't just for the big Porsches and the big, you know, Maseratis and the, the shiny sports cars. Um, something interesting happened with uh, Mazda, I'm sorry, Honda and Toyota. They both have the energy-efficient cars and, uh, you know, the, the ones that are very good for the environment, which obviously uh, is drawing people who are environmentalists or, or people who just want to take part in saving the environment. But what Honda found out was that people that were driving Hondas were switching to the Toyota to buy that car instead of staying with the Honda's energy-efficient car and gas-efficient car. And they weren't sure why, and it turned out is because people not only wanted the gas-efficient car, they wanted one that looked like a gas-efficient car, and the Prius looked different. The Hondas looked the same as the regular Hondas, so they wanted people to know that they were driving a, a fuel-efficient car. So that's the emotional aspect you're that's saying? That's the emotional aspect, yes. Next to it, yes. Very good. <laughs> okay. Um, this is all been fascinating stuff. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman, your host on The Money Answer Show, and my guest uh, this hour is Sandra Solani. Uh, who's the author of a new book called What's Your BQ? And I guess that, that's your website as well, right? What's Your BQ.com? Correct. Um, and she's a branding consultant based in California. Um, and we'll be back with more fascinating material about branding after this. The Internet's only all business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, the Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, the Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. 
Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Sandra Solani, uh, who is a branding consultant and author of a new book called What's Your BQ? How uh, Learn how 35 companies add customers Subtract Competitors and Multiply Profits with the Brand Quotient. Welcome back to the show, Sandra. Thank you, Jordan. You talk in here a lot about brand storming. Uh, tell me about what brand storming is. Sure. Well, a lot of us are familiar with the concept of brainstorming, where you sit in a room with some people and you sort of just shout out ideas as they come to your mind. And, and this is a wonderful activity because it creates a safe environment for people to be creative. A lot of times people are afraid to be creative because they don't want to say something wrong or you know, your ego's tied up into saying something and someone might not liking it. In a brainstorming session, anything goes. You don't have to edit it, just shout it out. The reason it's good is, one, it gets people in a very creative mode, and two, something that you say, even if it's not the right answer or the answer that they're going to choose ultimately, will trigger something in another person, and they'll call out something, and then you'll hear that, and it may remind you of something else. So it's a wonderful free flow of activity. And so the same is true with brandstorming, uh, only it's more uh, relevant to the brand. And so this is something that I do with companies. I bring some key people in the room, and it could be anybody. It could be management team. It can be staff. And we talk about different elements of the brand and how we can you know, incorporate them. And the way I like to start it off is I give examples of companies and what they've done, and I'll say, what can we learn from that company? So I might give an example of, um, you know, Netflix and what they've done. And you might say, well, gee, Netflix sells videos. I don't sell videos. But the beauty of brandstorming is any you can get uh, inspiration from any company, whether they sell services or products, because you look beyond the product and service and you look at how they've branded, because the elements of branding apply. So, for example, one of the reasons I like Netflix, and that's where you can get your you know, DVDs online instead of having to go to a brick-and-mortar store, is what they've done is they changed the business model. They found that the business model was broken. They took the pain out of the transaction. And I don't know if you're like me, but I hate walking into a, a brick-and-mortar video store. It's just, it's just chaotic, and there's, you know, it's just not where I want to be. So, um, so you might say, well, I don't sell videos, but I'll say, well, how can you take the pain out of the transaction? Is there something in your industry right now that is things that people don't want to deal with? Maybe, you know, they're on hold too long, or maybe in the industry as a whole uh, there's a problem with the products or, or returning products, whatever it might be. So you can take the Netflix example, but you can apply it to your company. So, so I'll normally just give multiple examples of companies, and again, how does that work for you? And after going through so many companies, people start to see, wow, I, I can see where we can really make improvements. And it also changes them so that next time they see a company or an advertisement, they start to think, 
how can I apply those principles to what I do? The, the product is irrelevant. So you then go through 35 different companies uh, and, and explain how they've got brands and how they've done brandstorming. And then you have uh, an actual exercise, what you call the Big Brown Table exercise, yes. uh, to take people through this for their own companies. Just briefly describe how that exercise would work. This is one of my favorite exercises, the Big Brown Table, and that refers to everybody's big conference table. And what I do, and this is always an eye-opener, is I tell people in the company, bring in anything from your company that bears your name, your logo. It could be a marketing piece like a brochure or a flyer, business card, stationery. It could be a fact sheet, an invoice, anything that has a touch point with the customer. So bring them out and spread them out on the table. It could even be mugs you know, or T-shirts, you know, giveaway items. And so they spread everything out on the table, and they usually gasp because when you see them all together, you will find that there are often so many inconsistencies. I've seen people who have had three different taglines and three different, you know, brochures. Uh, I've seen some brochures that are very outdated, others that are very new. Um, I also have them print out website sheets, and you see that the lack of continuity, and basically the goal of the exercise is to look at this and ask yourself, do these all look like they came from the same company? And very oftentimes they don't. And people take liberties with colors and, uh, you know, fonts. And this is often happens, too, when you have a large sales team. Uh, the sales team can be a big diluter of the brand. It's not intentional. But salespeople are trying to create materials and get things out to their clients quickly and, and customize materials so that their clients will buy the product. And in doing so, they sometimes change the brand. They change the look. And I've seen this happen a lot. And so you want to take all the materials that are going to go out there and have a touch point with the customer, make sure they're consistent, they look like they're from the same company, and the messaging is consistent throughout. Let's talk briefly about the uh, what you call the seven branding blunders mm-hmm. uh, and how to avoid them. We're not going to have time for all of them, but let's at least start off with the first one, which is confusing the product uh, with the brand. What is the, the mistake in that? This is a big, big item. And uh, the best example I can tell you about this is when uh, Coca-Cola – uh, decided to change Coca-Cola and the recipe to New Coke. And, uh, you know, they did this because people at the time were taking the Pepsi challenge and they were drinking, you know, Coke and Pepsi, and everybody was saying they liked Pepsi better. Well, Coca-Cola said, hey, we're, you know, we're getting nervous. We're going to do our own research. So they took about $4 million, and they did thousands and thousands of tests, and they gave people the Coke, the Pepsi, and the new Coke, not, not labeling any, and people chose the new Coke. Hands down, they loved it, this was great. So, hey, research doesn't lie, right? So they take all of the Coca-Cola off the shelves because they didn't want it to compete with a new product. They filled the shelves with new Coke, and as you probably recall, did not go over well. Mm-hmm. And the reason it did not go over well, you know, they, they couldn't figure it out because everyone said they liked it, is because Coca-Cola confused the product with the brand. People thought, you know, they thought, oh, people are buying because it tastes sweeter or less sweet or, or whatever, and that wasn't why people bought Coca-Cola. People bought Coca-Cola because it was part of their childhood. They had happy memories drinking Coca-Cola when they grew up. Uh, you know, Coca-Cola was there at their baseball games or their Little League games. It went with uh, our men when they went to, went to the moon. Our Olympic athletes drank it. Uh, you know, Norman Rockwell has a picture of Santa Claus drinking Coca-Cola. This was a, a wonderful icon of, of uh, America. And when they changed the taste, they, they took all of those collective memories away from us. People loved the brand, and they associated that taste with the brand, whether it was sweeter or less sweet. Um, you know, it's almost like if someone said, hey, Jordan, we're going to take your mom's apple pie recipe, and we're going to improve it with technology, and we're going to use a better, you know, cinnamon from Madagascar, and we're going to use technology to make a flakier crust, and it's going to taste better. And maybe it would, but it wouldn't be the apple pie that you grew up eating and had all those positive associations with. So yeah. people buy for the you know, the essence of the brand, not the product. Because when you think of Coca-Cola, they basically it's water with, you know, sugar in it. <laughs> you know, so they're not buying the product. They're buying the brand and the story behind it. And because of that mistake, uh, within days of releasing New Coke, they had 40,000 letters and 60,000 phone calls of complaint. And 87 days later, they had to take all of the product off the shelf and replace it with Coca-Cola Classic. Yes. So that's what can happen when you confuse the product with the brand. And one of the other blunders you talk about is being out of touch with clients' perception of your brand. How can that happen? Absolutely. Uh, you know, sometimes people forget that, again, if brand is in the mind of the consumer, 
why not talk to the consumer? Client, uh, survey your clients every chance you get. Um, and, and, you know, again, to go back to the Netflix example, they, they are such a, a good example of a company that does this. They hold focus groups daily. After every video you receive, you get an email survey. How did you like it? Rate the video. And they are constantly keeping in touch with their clients. So they are absolutely on the pulse of what their clients like and want. And they can change and modify their programs accordingly to make sure that the client's needs are being answered. And we sometimes forget that. And we think we're doing a great job and we start to believe our own hype. And then we find out, gee, maybe something isn't going right. And, and we ask questions. Clients, tell us. And so you're saying the perception is changing all the time based Absolutely. on the latest experience. Very good. Uh, okay. Well, this has been fascinating. We're going to come back after the break and talk about something else you're very interested in, Sandra, which is word-of-mouth marketing, uh, which is kind of related to the whole idea of building your brand. Um, and again, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Sandra Solani, uh, whose book is called What's Your BQ? Uh, which is about brand quotient. Her website is whatsyourbq.com. And we'll be back after this. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, the Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, the Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellent and both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, and my guest this hour is Sandra Solani, uh, whose book is called What's Your BQ, which stands for Brand Quotient. Another thing you deal with a lot, Sandra, is what you call uh, word-of-mouth marketing. Um, just tell us briefly about what word-of-mouth marketing is and, and the best ways to do it. Okay. Well, in its purest form, word-of-mouth marketing simply means consumers talking to other consumers about a product or service. And we've all done this. You know, maybe you go to a great restaurant and you can't wait to tell your friends about it, so you tell them and maybe they try it. So that's word-of-mouth marketing in its most organic form. Uh, now, obviously, uh, you know, 
businesses want to take advantage of this. They've always wanted to take advantage of it because it's been around forever. But now it's especially important because there are so many ways for, commu- for consumers to communicate that can happen exponentially because of things like emails and blogs and chat rooms where, you know, instead of me telling my friend about a restaurant, I can send it out to my mailing list and, t- and tell hundreds of people. And, and that, that information can just spread virally and, and reach a great number of people in a very short amount of time. And companies love that. So what's the advantage of doing it right? The advantage of doing it right? Well, if you do it right, it's, it's going to work, and you're going to see some bottom-line uh, dollar results. And uh, there are a lot of examples of companies who are, are doing this right. And uh, really, it's about doing, you know, providing great, if you provide great service, that's one way to get word-of-mouth marketing because people talk about it. But if you really want to up the ante, you can do things that are, are just remarkable and amazing that causes people to talk about it. And you can also provide forums for people to talk about your service. For example, at, you know, Amazon.com, you can buy, buy products there, but they also let you rate the products. So you can go on there and say, gee, I love this book, or I love this product, and other people then respond to what you say, and it creates these conversations among consumers. So uh, it's just a way of amplifying what might happen naturally. And then what happens if companies uh, get uh, bad word of mouth and, and bad word of mouth is spreading? What, what, how does that happen, and what, well, what's the effect yeah, on the companies there? And that's there? the double-edged sword of this, because, you know, Word of mouth can go either way. It can be good or bad. And, you know, I don't encourage people to try a word of mouth marketing campaign until they have got all their ducks in a row. I wouldn't encourage it, you know, in the first six months your product is starting out. You want to make sure all the kinks are worked out. You want to make sure that things are working well. Otherwise, you're going to be spending money to make sure uh, that everyone knows your product fails <laughs> or your product isn't doing well. So make sure you've got all your ducks in a row. Do whatever beta testing you need to do uh, because it, it can be a, a big, big problem. And one example was uh, the big debacle when Apple cut the price of its iPhones by $200. And, of course, people who buy iPhones are pretty computer-savvy people to begin with. So you know they were, went on the, you know, the chat rooms and they just were furious because there were people that paid the higher price for it and then all of a sudden they knocked the price down. So this sparked an absolute rebellion in the different Apple you know, support forums and, and discussion threads. And, and there was just hate mail started piling up. And then, and then finally Apple had to respond. And, and uh, you know, when something does happen like that, you get on there and you respond as a business owner and you make it right. You, you have to do it because this can just take off like wildfire and uh, you have to be prepared to do whatever needs to be done to make the situation right. If people are not already talking about your business naturally, what can you do to kind of help the process move along? You know, there's some great things to do, and I love these because they really tie in back into branding, but uh, again, it's about doing something that's different, like branding, with word-of-mouth marketing. You do something different, and people talk about it. And one really great example I, I've been hearing on the radio lately is a company called LifeLock. Now, this is an advertisement. An advertisement isn't word-of-mouth marketing, but what they say in the advertisement generates buzz. Um, the advertisement starts out with the, the CEO saying, Hi, my name is Todd Davis, and my Social Security number is... And he gives his Social Security number over the air on national radio. He gives it out on his website. LifeLock is a company that protects people's identities. Now, there are a lot of companies out there that do it, but this is the one that, where the CEO is giving his Social Security number out to the public to show that's how confident he is in the product. He also guarantees his service up to a million dollars. Now, you know, when I heard that commercial, I, you know, I almost had to pull over because it, it was just so remarkable and astonishing. So you need to not just have a good service. You need to have something over the top, either service that's over the top or a claim that's way over the top, and things like that get people uh, really excited. And it doesn't have to cost money. I mean, if you didn't do the radio commercials, just having that on the web or having your sales team go out there and talk about it, doing something remarkable is a great way to get word-of-mouth marketing. What kind of websites do you say people should uh, deal with to get their companies to build word-of-mouth marketing? Well, you know, whatever website you have, you can build in um, a forum for people to talk about your product. You can, uh, you know, have a blog where people respond to you and, and give their comments. You can have chat rooms where people just talk to each other. Uh, it's always good to monitor those. Well, first of all, because you're getting great market information, seeing what people think about you, and it also gives you an opportunity to intervene. So if, if you're hearing some negative news about a product, you can get on there and, and talk about, you know, here's what we're doing to make changes. So just providing a forum on your website 
What are some things that people do that are considered unethical or poor practices in word-of-mouth marketing? Yeah, there's, there are definitely you know ethical limits that people need to be aware of, and one is uh, if you pay people to talk about your business, which is really not a, a sincere form of word-of-mouth marketing, and that's called shilling, S-C-H-I-L-L-I-N-G. Mm-hmm. You know, you want uh, word-of-mouth marketing to happen organically and genuinely, and transparently, you don't want to do something, you know, under the radar that that falsely communicates your business because you're you're paying people to talk about it. Um, another so are people thing, outed or something? I mean, somebody it says you know you're you're being paid and, and then they're found out about that somehow. Is that what happens? Yeah. Now, I mean, if you're doing something and you're making people aware, oh, we're we're we've hired so and so, you know, actress as our spokesperson to talk about our product. That's okay. But when it's under the radar and you're paying people, it's just not it's not the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, there are too many other ways where you can do it and generate good organic word of mouth marketing. Um, another thing you don't want to do is something that everybody's familiar with is spam, and, that, and that's basically unsolicited bulk email. I mean, if you're going to do word of mouth marketing, you want to reach people. That, that want to hear that message. They don't want to feel like they're being spammed or, or bombarded with, with email. So you know, do it in a way that people are going to enjoy participating in. One of the, the most outrageous and wonderful campaigns I saw was with CareerBuilder.com, which is a site where you can go and find careers. And, and they did this uh, Super Bowl uh, commercial with uh, the office worker. He's working with a bunch of monkeys, you know, and mm-hmm. trying to say, you know, if you're tired of working with monkeys, come to CareerBuilder. And, you know, you, you can find the great job. But what they did on the best advertising, what they did on the word of mouth marketing, is if you went to careerbuilder.com, they give you an opportunity to send an email called monkey mail, okay? And what monkey mail is, and I sent you one, Jordan, mm-hmm. is you uh, have a monkey, an animated monkey, and you can dress up the monkey any way you want. You type in a message, and the monkey will actually speak your message, and you can send this to your friends. So your friend gets a message from you, and there's this talking monkey saying personal things that you would say to your friends or, or, you know, whatever message, and it's absolutely hysterical. Well, this trend caught on so big, and because what it did is it got consumers telling other consumers about this site and this monkey mail, and then, of course, when you receive a monkey mail, then you want to send it to someone else, and it created this absolute viral uh, response, and when, within about first, you know, nine months of their campaign, 60 million monkey mails went back and forth to people, so they basically got consumers talking without having to do the talking themselves, and if you get an email, a monkey mail from a friend, you're going to open it, whereas if you got an email from a company, you might say, oh, they're just trying to sell me something. Hmm. So a great example of how they created some buzz uh, and, and that supported their brand and their campaign and their message. Is this something you do yourself, Sandra, is help companies uh, create word-of-mouth marketing, and how do you do that with them? Yeah, I, you know, we, we really go through the whole gamut of marketing, the mar- marketing mix from, you know, advertising and marketing, public relations, uh, you know, public speaking. So whenever there's an opportunity to do something that will generate some, some excitement, then yes, we will incorporate that into their campaign. And, and so what are, can you give me an example of a word-of-mouth campaign you've done recently that uh, you know, would give people a sense of what you do? Yeah, uh, one campaign was with a commercial real estate company. We we started just going out there and giving our message to a variety of brokers around the country. And uh, the message was so unique and so different that these brokers then started telling other people about it. And uh, the CEO of the company was in uh, Europe one day. And he heard two people, you know, speaking in German accent talking about this American-based company. So, so creating a message that's very compelling is spread like wildfire. Terrific. Oh, this has been fascinating. Uh, my guest this uh, hour has been Sandra Solani, uh, whose book is called What's Your BQ? Uh, you can find out more about it at whatsyourbq.com. Uh, you've certainly learned a lot about branding and word-of-mouth marketing in the last hour. So thank you very much for being my guest, Sandra. Thank you, Jordan. And we'll be back again next week.